0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is U.S. Senator John Hovind of North Dakota. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. More with North Dakota U.S. Senator John Hovind, next here on Open Mic i like. America's farmers and ranchers are relying on crop insurance more now than ever before to provide individualized protection and to secure operating loans. Protecting more than 290 million acres of farmland and more than 130 commodities across the U.S., crop insurance is the primary safety net for many farmers, enabling them to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. Crop insurance, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. This is AgriPulse open mic. North Dakota Senior Senator John Hovind's service on the Senate Agriculture and Appropriations Committees, as well as the Committee on Energy and Natural Resources, positions him to offer a key voice for farmers and rural America in the 114th Congress. While budget reconciliation and trade issues dominate headlines, Hovind recognizes the need to support the nation's transportation infrastructure.
1: But We want a long-term highway bill that means six years. And it's got to be a good one that, that funds infrastructure needs for our roads. And the, the biggest challenge will be paying for it. Uh, some will want to use a gas tax increase to pay for it. That is, that is not uh, my choice. What I would rather see is that we utilize what's called repatriation, which means that we allow corporations to bring overseas earnings back to this country, and uh, provide them uh, with, with an effective lower tax rate than 35 percent because they're already paying taxes overseas, but actually give them a, a somewhat lower rate as an incentive to bring that money back. And I think if we do a good job with that, we could generate enough to fund a, a long-term bill without raising taxes.
0: A lot of agriculture groups have also been paying close attention to the amount of effort going into the water transportation system. Word of legislation been authorized, but it takes money to build and to upgrade infrastructure.
1: Yeah, that's right on. We passed the bill last year, the Water Resource Development Act. We had some really important provisions in there. Of course, the other huge issue in when we're talking water is WOTUS, Waters of the U.S. rule that the EPA is putting forward that's a bad rule, and we intend to either uh, deauthorize or defund it or, or both.
0: Let's go in that direction uh, with regard to waters of the U.S. and the proposed definition to be rolled out soon. How is that affecting North Dakota How is it affecting other states, and primarily, how do you approach challenging that movement by the administration?
1: Right. Well, it's affecting not just our farmers and ranchers, but other industry sectors as well, like energy and manufacturing and and many others. And and what it's doing is it's creating real problems because it's a big-time overreach by the EPA. Essentially, EPA is asserting jurisdiction over all water, wherever they find it, rather than just navigable bodies of water, which is where their uh, uh, authorization or really is. And essentially, they're saying they can uh, regulate water wherever they find it, even ephemeral water or, you know, temporary water in, in ditches or on your farm or ranch or if it's an energy company on your premises. And it creates real problems because people don't know what they have to do in order to manage water. Uh, on their property when do they have to have a permit what's going to be required so it is it, it's a real problem what we'll do is uh we've got legislation which I've co-sponsored deauthorize it which would rescind the rule or if we're not able to get 60 votes to pass that uh, I've also uh, I've got a separate provision uh, that I will take through the appropriations process that would defund uh the rule and that's what we did last year with the interpretive rule to help our farmers uh, but we need to actually eliminate the underlying regulation.
0: Is there support from the minority side of the aisle to help you with this, even past 60 votes?
1: You know, I believe there is. I I, I think we may even be able to get 60 votes on the floor to, to uh, actually deauthorize, rescind the uh, the rule. And I think a lot of that will come from our Aggies. Um, you know, there, there's pretty much 100 percent support on the Republican side. I think we've got everybody. And I Think we can get enough Democrats? We may have to get all the way to sixty-seven in case of a presidential veto. That's where it will be tough. But I do think we'll get support, particularly out of some of the Aggies on the Democrat side.
0: So, thinking of the EPA, what's been the effect on your state? What do you think on the country of the delayed RFS announcement from the EPA? You
1: know, anytime you create uncertainty, it's a problem, and and that there's just too much of that. I mean, number one, we've got just too much regulation and red tape in general. Whether it's ag or any other uh, of our industries, I'm hearing it across every industry sector. Everything from financial services, high tech, manufacturing, uh, ag, energy—you name it. And when you create that uncertainty, just like uh, is going on now with EPA and the RFS, that makes it really hard uh, for our people to do business. And we can't forget that you know agriculture—it's is agribusiness. These farmers uh, are small and actually, you know, pretty good-sized businesses in some cases. And that uncertainty is a problem for them, but all the way up the chain. All, you know, farming's about food, fuel, and fiber, and it just it makes it much harder to do business. That hurts our economy and costs us jobs.
0: You work with others in the Congress uh, diligently to bring a new farm bill, and the president signed it into law a little over a year ago. Is it the language that you would like to have seen? Do you think it is the language that will protect our farmers now in this paradigm of lower cash crop prices for commodities?
1: I I think that what we really tried to do was enhance crop insurance and strengthen crop insurance. What I was hearing, and, and I think the rest of us were hearing, from our producers is that the number one thing they want was improvement to to crop insurance to help uh, better manage risk. So we made that the number one priority, and I think that that, combined with ARC and PLC, hopefully will provide the kind of uh, risk management tools that our our farmers uh,
0: need. What challenges do you expect toward this farm bill when we get deeper into the budget process?
1: You know... uh, with lower commodity prices, you know, obviously that's a concern in terms of what the overall impact's going to be in terms of, of total cost. But you have to remember that we we put reforms in the program that saved uh, the, the latest CBO estimate was about 26 billion dollars. So farmers and ranchers are stepping up already in terms of, of helping uh, with the uh, budget, and so that's why, at least in the Senate budget, we were able to keep further reductions uh, as far as agriculture out of uh you know the, the budget that we were passed because we, we stepped up with our egg uh, producers and did that reform earlier and so that's going to be a key as we go to conference with the house i hope we're able to keep that in place and i do think that as people look at this program even with the lower commodity prices i think they're going to see that it, it that we did a good job in terms of the fiscal piece and the cost piece because remember we geared it off crop insurance so with lower commodity prices that's going to help on the saving side at the same time that it gives our our farmers some of that uh you know that support and the countercyclical type support that they need when commodity prices drop
0: would a means test for crop insurance change the success of the program and the ability of that safety net to protect farmers
1: well, you know, that's a real concern because you got to remember the idea behind crop insurance and risk management is that you get everybody in the pool, and so you want those uh, producers that are financially strong in the pool with everybody else. That's how you manage risk and bring down the cost for everybody, including the cost to the federal government. And so that's important to remember that we've got to get everybody in the pool, and we could actually increase the cost if we start getting into something uh, that that would create a means testing that would keep uh, a lot of our producers, particularly our financially strong producers, out of the risk pool.
0: How about conservation compliance? I know that that now is tied to risk management within this farm bill. You had some very strong opinions about that. Have they changed?
1: No. I mean, my opinion hasn't changed. Look, at the end of the day, the farm program has to be farmer-friendly. That's what this is all about. The farmers uh support something like 16 million jobs, you know, direct and indirectly across uh, our economy. They create a positive balance of trade and agriculture for us. Uh, every single American benefits from the highest quality, lowest cost food supply in the world, thanks to uh, our farmers and ranchers. So we've got to make sure this works for them. And like I said earlier, they're out on the land every single day, Working, uh, to support their families and make a living. So my concern with linking crop insurance to the compliance program was that it made it more difficult for our farmers. I offered amendments to keep them, uh, keep those two programs decoupled. We weren't able to do that. So now it's very important, very important that USDA work with us to make sure the program is farmer friendly.
0: I think you're also a part of legislation that would eliminate the death tax. The president has said to be staunchly against that. How is the death tax a challenge for agriculture and for small business and albeit it does not affect a huge number of people, why is it important?
1: Well, but think about, it. you know, you've got our uh, again our producers out there farming and ranching and so much of their um, their capital is tied up in land and tied up in equipment, which is not liquid. And so now you're in a situation where, you know, you want the family business to continue. You know, I mean, generations grow up on uh, on the farmer ranch and, and, and uh, you know, take care of it and, like say, produce food, fuel, and fiber. And that, that's a family business. And, and you know, these are really the backbone of our economy, these types of small businesses and family businesses. And when you have that much capital tied up in assets that aren't liquid, if that estate tax can put them in a situation where they're forced to sell a farm rather than being able to pass it on to the next generation. So that, that's a huge concern.
0: You've been outspoken about the school lunch program and the nutrition program from the USDA. Should we anticipate legislation? And, and what changes would you like to make in the school lunch program?
1: Hey, t- hey, flexibility. I mean, just common sense flexibility. We've got to get away from this i this idea of one big federal Program one size fits all mentality that just doesn't work. Let's give, you know, our school nutritionists, uh, you know, they're out there uh, in our schools across the country doing a fantastic job. It's just about giving them some flexibility when it comes to sodium levels or whole grain foods, being able to serve healthy, nutritious meals that the kids like and that they'll eat, and where the schools can make their budget. So there is some flexibility that's needed here. I've got legislation in that's supported by the School Nutrition Association from across uh, the country. That's, I don't know, 10,000 school nutritionists, I think, out there actually doing the job every day. And it also has the support of all the school boards. So Bottom line, it's about, you know, giving people flexibility to, to do a great job, and they will.
0: How do you gain enough support from the minority side of the aisle to be able to overcome what challenge you might find from the president, especially in honor of the First Lady?
1: Yeah, you know, that you hit the nail on the head there, because I think just from a common sense standpoint, I mean, we'd have this legislation sail through no problem, but we're getting a lot of pushback from the White House, um because they really they like the program exactly the way it is and they don't want any changes made and and that's too bad because look, it's it, it, we all share the same objective of making sure that uh, that our school kids uh, eat healthy nutritious meals and we you know make sure that we're combating things like child obesity, but they got to understand there's got to be some flexibility in there and, and that's what, they're not allowing it. it just it, they're just being too rigid about some of this, which is actually counterproductive in terms of making it work at the at the local level for our schools and our school kids.
0: Do you anticipate companion legislation in the House?
1: No doubt about it. Um, there'll be companion legislation. Uh, Christy Nome from South Dakota has already got a bill in. Uh, I think she added some other elements as well. Uh, but we'll have excellent cooperation in the House. And of course, there they just need a majority versus us needing 60 votes. Uh, so they'll be able to move legislation, I think, without without any problem at all. And so that'll be actually a strength for us. It'll be harder for us to move things in the Senate, but we'll have help in conference.
0: Congressman Pompeo has introduced a GMO labeling bill in the House. Uh, will there be a Senate bill, and does it have a champion?
1: Well, that's something I'm looking at right now. Uh, as you say, uh, Congressman Pompeo's got, a, I think, a good approach. I, uh, my crew's looking at it. Uh, but the whole idea is uh, that, you know, first off, GMO is safe and healthy and, and properly supervised. And so this really goes to labeling in a way where we don't add a whole bunch of costs and difficulty, which actually is, hurts consumers because it raises their cost in the store. We don't want that. We want good information, but we, we don't want a patchwork of state-by-state uh, approaches that may create real difficulty in terms of uh, marketing and, as I say, additional costs. And so the idea is, uh, again, a common-sense approach, maybe something uh, voluntary that would, would help uh, address the labeling in a way that, that works.
0: With regard to Cuba, you spent some time with the senator from Minnesota and her legislation to eliminate the embargo. What's your position on trade with Cuba? Cuba.
1: I think the real key there is more ag trade, making it easier to do more ag trade. I think that'll help. I think on the diplomatic side, though, we've got to demand changes out of the cash regime in terms of human rights before we normalize the diplomatic side.
0: Senator, I would be very interested of your thoughts of the administrative action on antibiotic resistance and livestock. Is it just a regulatory issue or will it become a legislative issue?
1: Depends on uh, how it's approached on the regulatory side. Um, I, I think again, we, it's got to be science-based and it's got to be common sense. And so we're going to have to see what happens on the regulatory side and we'll dictate, you know, whether something's done uh, will have to be done legislatively.
0: Senator Hovind, we appreciate your time with us this morning. It is open. mic. Uh, thoughts that you have uh, toward the listeners.
1: Well, I just want to go back to what I said earlier about our farmers and and ranchers. Uh, Again, when I talk to people in Washington, D.C. or or anywhere else, when we talk about these ag issues, they affect everybody. I mean, they affect everybody at the dinner table. And so I I think that it's important we continue to remind uh, people we work with, elected representatives in Congress or in the Senate that represent urban areas, That they've got a big stake in this too because their consumers all benefit from the highest quality. Uh, lowest-cost food supply in the world.
0: Our thanks to North Dakota U.S. Senator John Hoven, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.